Well, good morning. It's good to see you. My name's Scott. If we haven't met before, I want to say thanks for being here, for choosing to worship with us, whether you're here in person or online. Again, thanks for being here. If you were here this last week, you know that we started a new uh, series uh, studying the book of James. James is a fantastic book. It's only five chapters in the Bible, and you can read through the book of James probably straight through in about 15 minutes. But what we're doing is we're taking it bit by bit. We're taking it in smaller little portions because James is so rich. It's kind of like fudge, right? You can only just have a little bit at a time and you just got to like, oh yeah, just let that kind of, just enjoy that, savor that. And that's kind of how James is. It's just so rich, so practical. You read something like, I've got to like let that sink in a little bit more. And that's the beauty of this book because James is very, very interested in helping us have a very practical faith. He wants us to have a growing faith and developing faith, but his main concern, right, is that we have a faith that shows up in practice, that our faith isn't just something we say we have, but faith is something that we demonstrate in our daily lives. And so he helps us by looking at a number of different things that we face on a daily basis and say, what does faith look like in practice in these ways? And so it's extremely helpful, very, very practical book for us to be looking at because it touches all of our lives. Um, Now, I want to talk about James and the passage we're going to look at, but first, let me just go back and give a little bit of background. Again, if you weren't here last week, I'll just remind you um, that not only is James, the book of James a remarkable book, but it's written by a remarkable guy. So James is the half-brother of Jesus, and this is a remarkable thing. He is the one who's who's the writer of this book, and if you remember, you may remember that James wasn't always a follower of Jesus. In fact, even as, his, as a brother, he, you know, his whole family, you may recall, at one point they're like, okay, we got to pull Jesus in, reel him in because, you know, he's out of his mind right now. They thought, hey, Jesus, you're, you're, you're doing good things um, and you're, you know you're trying to serve God, but now you're thinking you are God. And so they're like, he's crazy. We got to pull him in. Um, and so it was really, really hard for him. But until that is, uh, Jesus uh, was crucified and then was resurrected. And it was the resurrected Jesus when he appeared to James that all of a sudden it changed everything for him. He realized that Jesus is, not, is, is in fact the Lord. And he, James, the half-brother of Jesus, goes from a skeptic to a, a, a sincere and earnest follower of Jesus Christ. And so much so that he becomes a key leader in the church in Jerusalem, the very first church. He is the, the leader, the, the guy that they look to And it's a remarkable position that he's put in because there's so much pressure that's put on that early church. And James is a pillar for the church during that that time. See, the the early church was under great persecution and great pressure by Herod Agrippa I. And because of the great persecution and pressure that was facing the church, the early church in Jerusalem, they scattered uh, away. And and in the scripture, it talks about this, like the scattering of the 12 tribes. They just scatter out because of the opposition, the, the persecution. But James himself stays in Jerusalem under the persecution. And he's used by God to be an encouragement to all of the people who are struggling and dealing with difficulty and trials and persecution. In fact, James, as an encouragement to all those who are struggling, writes these words at the very beginning of his book. I'll just show you. This is what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And this is the shocking statement, isn't it? 
And if you're looking at this and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I thought, you know, maybe James is the one that's actually crazy because he's making a statement like this. But in fact, James is very, very much stating a truth, a truth that God is bigger than our difficulties, that God is not just the God of the good stuff, but he's God of the tough stuff. And God can work in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our challenges. And we, because of that, we can approach our challenges, our trials, our struggles with a new attitude, an attitude of joy because Jesus is Lord. And he's Lord of all of that, and he can do a work even in the hard things in our life. And this is an important thing for us to remember because all of us face difficulties, don't we? Each and every one of us has difficulties in our life. The early church, they were facing financial difficulty, relational difficulty, physical challenge, and many people here know all of that and more. And so the the statement that James makes is very, very important and very powerful. But James is also understanding. He tells us the truth. It's so great. James does not pull any punches. He just gives it to us straight. He says, listen, your trials, if you don't respond to the Lord, and that he kind of, just to summarize what he basically said, he says, when you feel, when you experience trials, you're to persevere in those trials and to seek God and his wisdom Trust him and lean, in God, and lean in to him all the way through your trials. And so that's what he says. But he also understands this, that in the midst of the trial, the pressure that comes, there is a possibility that if we don't respond in faith, that that trial can be perverted and turned into a temptation. And so he's very, very honest about that. And you know that to be true. The pressure comes, the challenges are there, the struggles, you're burdened. All of a sudden, you begin to start thinking, maybe I'll stop trusting God. Maybe I'll stop listening to God, and I'm going to start going back to listening to myself and doing things my way. Things are hard this way. Persevering is difficult. I'm going to shortcut it and do it my way. Does that make sense? We all understand that, don't we? In the midst of the trials, we can be, um, it can be perverted into a temptation. And so James is very interested in helping us understand the challenge of that and the reality of it. And he's very, very honest in helping us understand temptation and how to address temptation because it's something that we will all face. And so this, this, uh, this passage we're going to be looking at today addresses the question, how, can, uh, how does faith work when we are tempted? How does faith work when we are tempted? Last week, how does faith work when we face trials? And today, how does faith work when now the temptation comes in under the pressure? How do we address that? How do we deal with it? What does faith look like in practice in those circumstances? So it's very, very helpful, and I want to get right to it with you. So I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 1 in your Bible if you haven't already. Um, if, you didn't have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, use the handout that you've been given. There's uh, the passage printed with, along with some notes. But once you find that, let's stand um, together in honor of God's Word, and we'll read it together. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, all the way through verse 18, says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, 
that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Okay, go ahead and have a seat, and we'll take a look at it together. Now, this passage we're looking at today begins in verse 13, but what I want to do is go back to the verse that we talked about last week, verse 12, that's kind of a link to verse 13 moving forward. So let me just show you back to verse 12. It says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So I'm going back to verse 12 to show the link because James does something very clever here. He's, he's talking about trials, and he's been talking about trials, and the word trial there, it's, it's the, a Greek word that has the same root as the word temptation. And so again, James is, is very, very clever. I've heard some people call him the blue-collar scholar. I mean, he's just brilliant. And the, the Greek, if you look at the entire New Testament and you say, what is the most, you know, well-written, uh, cleverly written, you know, Greek in the New Testament, it would either be James or Hebrews. It, it just, it's, it's fantastic. And he uses this clever statement here. He says, your trials, and again, trials having the same root word as temptation. So he starts with temp- trials saying, hey, we got to withstand, persevere under our trials. But if you don't, if you don't trust God in your trial, it can turn into a temptation. Same, similar word sounding and everything. He just kind of sets it up. And so that's the next verse that he's linking us to. So then that same root word there, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So he uses that same word. He says, listen, under pressure, that trial can turn into a temptation. You can shortcut you can say, stop trusting in God, start trusting in myself. And so he wants us to understand the real challenge that we all face when it comes to temptation. And so what I want to do is just point out a couple of things that's very, very helpful that James points out for us in terms of understanding temptation. In terms of understanding temptation, the first thing that I want you to see from this very first verse 13 is this, that everyone faces temptation. Everyone faces temptation. Everyone is tempted. And, and you see that because it doesn't say if you're tempted, it says when you're tempted, okay? That's, what, that's, the, that's the whole idea. Now, is it wrong to be tempted? No, but it, we don't want temptation to just roll, rule our life, right? So have, being tempted isn't, is one thing. Jesus was tempted, but it's giving into the temptation that he's really concerned that we, under the pressure, don't go that path. And so he's very honest and upfront with us, though, in saying, when you are tempted, everyone is tempted, it's universal. If you aren't being tempted now, um, stand by, you're going to be tempted. Um, if you are a person who thinks to themselves, well, I've kind of gotten past this temptation. I've, I've graduated from it. I, I'm no longer tempted. There is a Greek word for that too. Did you know what that is? It's dumb, okay? So just remember that. Hold on to it. If you think, I've gotten through it, I'm done, graduated from temptation, I'm, I'm out, then it's just, it's not true. I remember as a teenager um, being in some environment uh, where this elderly man was talking about his struggle with lust. And I remember thinking to myself as a teenager, oh my goodness, it never goes away. Are you kidding me? What hope is there for any of us? And I just, it was, a re, it was this, this aha moment of like, oh, temptation doesn't just poof, vanish. We don't graduate from temptation. We all struggle with temptation and it will be something we continue to deal with. Aren't you glad you came to church today, right? (laughs) Such good cheery news. But I love that James is just honest. He just says, hey, listen, you will face temptation. 
you will struggle. And each one of us has, you know, in a certain sense, our own code. You know, what, what tempts me may not tempt you. And what tempts you may not tempt me or the other person. We have our own kind of personalized menu, so to speak, right? Everyone has their own various temptations that you will face and that you lean towards or, or struggle with when the pressure comes. And so it's there, and James is just very, very honest with us about it, which is so helpful. But then he, he wants to point out something else to us to see, that in terms of understanding temptation, it's not just that we all face it, but he wants us to understand something else. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what James wants to help us understand when it comes to temptation is that God is not the source of it. God is not the source of our temptation. That's what he's talking about here. And, and this is good and helpful. And when you think about it, the early church, those Christians, right, that were in Jerusalem that got pushed out because of the pressure and they got pushed out into the Greek and Roman world. And as a result of that, they're experiencing a lot of Greek mythology when it comes to God, the gods and Roman thinking. And so with that, there's this thought of like, you know, the Greek mythology, the, the gods that are up there that are just messing with people down below. You know, they're kind of giving them a trial, giving them a temptation. And it would be very easy to have that seep, seep into their thinking of God that, oh, it's just God that's doing this to me. And James wants to be very, very clear. No, it's not God that's doing it to you. He is not the source of your temptation. He wants us to understand that. There's, don't blame God for this, you know. I prayed that God would give me a job, and he, he did. He gave me this job. But there was this woman at the job. And, you know, that we just started talking, and, you know, here's where we go. And so it was God that put this woman there in front of my life. No, no, no. It was not God, right? That, that was, this, it's, our, it's, it's not God that's tempting us. He's not the source of it. And so it's just we have to be very, very careful that doesn't seek in, seep into our thinking as well. So then the question is, well, well, what is the source of our temptation? And that's what verse 14 helps us with. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Do you see that? It, it, temptation comes from our own uh, evil desire. Come from our own desires within. Evil desires? You mean I have evil desires? Yes, you have evil desires. And just ask any parent here, right? Did you have to, you know, teach your kids to be selfish growing up? Nope, they just figured that out on their own, didn't they? It's at one point when your child lied, did you be like, oh, finally, all this training, all this teaching, it's finally materialized. They're lying now. No, they figured that out on their own, didn't they? We all have this within us, this, this, this sin nature, this sin problem, evil desires that creep up within us. And so that's where it comes from, and we need to just be very honest about it. And James is, again, honest, straightforward, blunt. Here's where the source of temptation is coming from. But notice, it comes from the desires within us, but it says that uh, we are dragged away and enticed dragged away and enticed. And so the idea is this, that there's the inward desire, but then there's the, the outward enticement and that drags us away. And this is, you know, very, very helpful language, graphic language. In fact, if you're a, a fisherman, this is fishing language that he's talking about here. He's talking about an enticement. That is, there's a bait that, and, that entices us with our inward desire. So uh, this weekend, in fact, I took my kids to the... Uh, the kids' fishing day down at Columbia Pond. 
Um, the, the pond was stocked with, you know, 6,000 fish. So you can't, you know, if you just, you, you're tripping over fish if you walk in the water. You know, there's just fish everywhere. You can't even help but catch something, which is great. It's like my ideal, like, you know, fishing day. Hey, we'll catch fish in 30 minutes. It's awesome. You know, limit out. Um, but it was, it was great. So we, we, I took uh, Kai and Levi down there. And it's so fun because uh, they got all set up, you know, down there for the kids. They really want it to be a great experience. And uh, the whole thing is that the fish have been dumped into this pond. And they're swimming around thinking they're safe. They're with their buddies. They're schooling around. And um, whatever, what happens though, right, is kid after kid just casts out a little piece of bait, right, into the water. And that little piece of bait, it just, oh, man, it gets those fish. You know, they think they're safe. And all of a sudden, woo. There's something that looks pretty enticing. And it's so great because on this kids' fishing day, there's all these volunteer fishermen that are there that want kids to have an awesome experience. And so they're pulling out their secret sauce. You know what I mean? Oh, here's the, the best, fabu- most fabulous bait ever. You're going to catch a fish like that. So they're throwing on. And I mean, my kids got a you know, piece of purple corn. They got some, you know, some you know, licorice smelling power bait. They got like all sorts of things. <laughs> exactly. And this is what happens, right? So it's like, all this like fantastic bait that gets thrown in the water. You do not have to be a great fisherman when there's that bait that entices the fish. And there's, it's just the fish that just see it, whenever it's a flashy thing or a smelly thing or just something, they just can't help but just see it and go strike it. And bam, all of a sudden, they're hooked. Now, at that point, when they're hooked, it's too late to ask the question, oh, should I be, you know, taking a bite of this thing or not, right? Once they bite, bang. They're hooked. They're being dragged away. That's the picture that, that, that they're going, that, that James is trying to help us see. It, it, the source of our um, temptation comes from within, an inward desire, and then it's met with this, this outward enticement. All of a sudden, we strike, bang, we're being dragged away. And it's not only helpful for us, again, to see um, uh, what the source of the temptation is, but where does the temptation lead, which is the very next thing that I want you to see in verse uh, 15. The temptation is a downward spiral toward death. Temptation is a downward spiral towards death. Again, James is very, very clear. He's very, very honest. He just wants us to understand where does it take you? And so look at verse 15 with me. It says this. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. So he's using, he's using uh, conception as an a image, a picture. So just like there's a, you know, a seed and sperm, when they come together, there's conception. In the same way, he's saying, listen, there, there's the inward desire these are the outward enticement. When they come together, guess what happens? You become the proud owner of a bouncing baby's sin. That's what he's saying, okay? He's using conception to say, listen, you, that desire conceives, guess what? Gives birth, and it gives birth to sin. And then he goes on to say, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So he's giving us the progression of our temptation and where it ultimately leads, and it's a downward spiral to death. And he's very, very clear about it. In fact, James is helpful because in chapter 1 of James, he's giving us two progressions. I don't know if you, you know that, but he, there's two different points of progression with our, with our trials and with our temptations. Let me just show it to you. The progressive nature of our trials, he talks about in James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And it's this, that there's testing that leads to perseverance, 
that leads to maturity and, and, and makes us mature and complete. So he talks about this trial. It can lead to perseverance. If we persevere in the trial, guess what? It makes us more mature, more complete. Then he also then now is telling us about the progressive nature of, tri- of temptation. That desires lead to, uh, with enticement lead to sin, lead to death. And so he's, he's showing us the progressive nature of both our trials. And if we trust God in those trials, it becomes a temptation. And this is the progressive nature of temptation when we allow it to, to fully uh, work its way out. And it ends in death. Again, it's a downward spiral towards death. And death is, is always about separation. Death is separation. That's what it is. And so if someone says the relationship has died, you know what they're saying? They're saying there's a separation, that this person's soul no longer connects to this person's soul. There's a, there's a death in the relationship. We're separated. It's no longer there. In, in physical death, it's our, our body is separated from our spirit. So there's separation there as well. And what James wants us to see here is that there's the danger of spiritual separation. That is our spirit being separated from God's spirit. When temptation, you know, is, is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. Death is that separation, that danger of the spiritual separation between us and God. So he's very, very clear about it, and he wants us to understand it and to see it. So the question then is, okay, it's helpful to understand uh, temptation, that we all face it, that God's not the source of it. We are. It's our own evil desires. And that it's, it leads to death. That's a helpful things for us to understand. The next question then for us is to say, well, how do I address it? I understand it better now, James. Thank you. But now how do I address the real temptations that I face in my life? And that's where he's so helpful. And I just want to point out the first one is this, the stop the lies. In verse 16, stop the lies. This is important for us to see. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And he's emphatic here. He's saying, don't be deceived. That is, don't keep buying the lies. The lies that, that, uh, that, you know, this is, you know, God's tempting me. No, no, he's already made that clear. It's not God, it's you. And then he's also, what's the other lie that we can kind of sometimes come to and, and tell ourselves? We tell ourselves, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just this one thing, just this one time. It's just my little pet sin I've got in my pocket. But James is saying, don't buy the lie. Don't be deceived. Why? Because he just got done telling us sin, sorry, temptation leads to sin, which leads to death. So don't minimize it. What, what James wants us to help us with, and this is very, very helpful in terms of addressing our temptation, is really recognizing that there's more at stake than what we think when it comes to temptation. There's always more at stake than what we think. That little fish, oh, it's a little piece of bait. It's a little worm dangling by. Don't know how that could be, ever be enticing. But a little worm dangling there, bang, all of a sudden hook. The hook is behind the bait. Do you get that? There's always more at stake when it comes to temptation than we think. And so James is saying, don't be deceived. And this is very, very, very helpful for us because when it comes to temptation, the tendency for all of us, and this is true for all of us, is to see the temptation that is right there in front of us, and that's all we see. It's, oh, just one piece of dessert. That's it, right? And that's all we see, the only thing right there, the immediate, ah, it's just this, just one, one thing here. Or, hey, it's this, it's this one phone call to this guy. 
or this one click here, and, or this, this one app that I download here, or this, maybe I don't tell the whole truth to this person right now. It's all these things, but it's just right there. It's just this one thing right in front of you. And what James is trying to help us see is to say, stop buying the lie that it's not that big of a deal. There's always more at stake when it comes to our temptations than what we see right there in front of us in the moment. And he wants us to be very, very clear about that. Well, the question is, well, what's at stake? What's at stake behind the, 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 the temptations that we're faced with? Well, he, there's always three things, at least, in, that are behind it. First of all, the, what's at stake is your future. That's what's at stake. The other thing that's at stake is, uh, you know, other people's future. Uh, other people in your life, their future is at stake. And the third thing that can be at stake is your faith. Those three things, your future, somebody else's future, or your faith. All three of those things are at stake. When it comes to your future, just think about it for a moment. It's always easier to see someone's temptation in the future that it can lead to in their life than it is in ours. Do you know what I'm talking about? When a parent sees their kid make a a decision and they overreact, they're like, oh my goodness, you can't do that. It's because the parent sees the ramifications down the road. And it's easier to see in someone else, isn't it? The parent says, okay, if you do A, it'll lead to B, C, D, E, you're going to be in jail and prison. You won't be able to have grandchildren. And I'm like, it's just a terrible thing, right? And so they're seeing the whole big picture and the kids just think, I just said this. And, but the, the parent overreacts, right? They see all of that and they go, oh man, I see the future. It doesn't look good. And it freaks us out. We see it in other people before we can see it in ourselves. I was watching um, a television show with my, uh, my girls um, this weekend, uh, the, the show Heartland. And um, it, you watch it and you're like, oh man, it, it, again, it's entertaining, but there's all these predictable things. You're like, oh, please don't go into business with this person or don't go with that guy. Or, you know, if you go out in the, the woods, it's going to be terrible because you, you, know, you, you know what's going to happen. And you're like, there's another way, right? The whole time you're saying, I see, you just see what's in front of you. Um, but I see more. We see that in other people. We see it in movies, but it's much harder to see in our own lives. And so it, it just is one of those things where we have to be very honest and say there is more at stake. Our own future is at stake. Just think about King David for a moment. If King David could have seen his future when he was looking at his neighbor's wife, do you think he'd make the same decisions? If, he, if, he, if someone could show him, hey, listen, by looking at your neighbor's wife, this is ultimately going to end up in the death of a son, the murdering of a really good soldier, ramifications in your family for the rest of your life. Do you want to still do it? No, of course not, right? But all we see is what's presented right in front of us. We see that, the bait, we take it, and it, it, it leads. There's always more at stake than what we see. But it's not just for us, it's for other people too. And that's what we also need to understand, that if you're a person that has authority over others, um, your decisions do make a difference to your, in your family, with your spouse, with your children, if you're a boss, with the people that are, you're employed by. Your decisions have implications for the people around you. So it's not just your future, it's other people's future that's at stake as well. And the other thing that we can't ignore is the fact that it's also our faith that's at stake. 
Because very, very often for many people, it's like, well, I'll just make this one little decision and there's a little separation between me and God and another decision, another little bit more separation from me and God, a little another and then another, another. All of a sudden, like, how did I get clear over here? And God is so far away from my, my vantage point, from my view, from my thoughts, from my heart. And I have less confidence in God than I've ever had. And it's, a, it's not always a decision that you make at one moment. Like, oh, I'm super educated. You know, I read a book and boom, it's a, it's a series of decisions behaviors that can get us so far away and and it can have an impact and so james is just honest with saying with us saying don't be deceived don't be deceived stop the lies stop telling yourself the lie there's not that much at stake it's just my little thing it's just my one-time decision it's just all it's just uh, it's just something that i'm keeping to myself nope it impacts your future other people's future and your faith. He's being very, very clear and being very, very blunt. So don't be deceived. But one of the ways, again, that we are deceived when it comes to temptation is not just that there's not that much at stake, but that somehow um, that God can't be trusted. That's why I'm going to do it my way, that I'm not going to trust God's wisdom, then I'm going to go to my, my wisdom and my way. And so James s- stops that by simply saying, not only do you need to s- stop the lies, you need to set your confidence in the goodness of God. Set your confidence in the goodness of God. This is important for us to get because every temptation, if you boil it down, it does d- come down to some level um, of us saying, I don't trust God. I don't t- trust that God will take care of me. I don't trust that God's plan is better than my plan. I don't trust that God can give me the power to deal with this temptation. I don't trust that God will actually get me through this trial that I'm facing. It all comes down to, I don't trust God. And so James wants to help us by resetting our trust in the God of, uh, who is good and faithful. Let me show you what it says in verse 17. It says this, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So he's just being very, very honest. He's saying God is good and he's faithful and he doesn't change. It's very possible for people, especially people who've grown up in the church or that think to themselves, well, God's been holding out on me. That somehow the people that don't have God in their life, they're having all the fun. And so, you know, God's been holding out. I've got to go have the fun. That's where it's all at. So I'm going to abandon following God's way. I'm going to go the world's way. And let me just tell you something. You just take that thought, carefully wrap it up, and just shoot it back in a rocket to hell where it came from, okay? You talk to anyone who has said, I've lived out in the world and have now come to faith in Christ. They will not tell you that it was so fun, so fulfilling, so great. They will tell you it was empty. It was destructive. It was killing me and killing the relationships around me. Listen to those people very carefully. God is good and he's faithful. And those moments where we're we're tempted to abandon trusting in him, listen, we need to to recognize, no, 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 all the good things come from God. And everything else is just, it it just won't ultimately fulfill. And so it's just so helpful. James is so great. He says, reset your confidence in God's goodness, his wisdom, and his goodness in your life. And don't buy the lie of something else that you might, might be tempted to go to. Then the next thing, that I want you to see that the third thing in terms of addressing temptation is this. Step forward in the new life that he's given. Step forward into the new life that he's given you. This is so very important. Not only do we need to stop listening to the lies, saying, ah, there's, you know, 
not that much at stake. You know, I can't know if I can really trust God. I'm going to do it my way. Stop all that stuff. Um, set your confidence in God. And now step forward in the new life that he's given you. Let me show you what it says in verse 18. It says this, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What James is talking about here is spiritual birth. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and experiencing a rebirth, a new birth, a spiritual birth that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is important. And for some of you here, you're saying, I've been struggling with this temptation. I keep falling back and I don't have, I just struggle over and over. The addiction has got more control over me than, than I have. And I've tried and I've tried and tried. It is possible that you have not gone to the first step uh, in, de- in terms of dealing with your, uh, uh, your temptation. And the first step is this. It's simply saying, God, I can't. You can. Please help me. That's the first step. The first step is simply saying, Jesus, I can't deal with this on my own. And so I'm going to put my faith and trust in you, your forgiveness, your grace, your power at work in my life. And as we trust in him, he can then work in us and begin to transform us from the inside out. But if you're trying to do it on your own, good luck. It's not going to happen. Because if you could have changed by now, you would have. But you can't. So we have to come back and say, where does it start? I need to step into the life that is now available to me through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The grace and the power that he provides, that he offers to me. This is essential. So it's starting there. It's experiencing the birth through the word of truth. That is the, the, the scriptures pointing to the good news about Jesus Christ. This is our great hope when it comes to temptation. It's not some fancy plan that you follow. It's not some, you know, willpower plan that you try to come up with or, you know, I'll just hide away in the forest somewhere and I'll never be tempted. None of those things ultimately do it, right? It's saying, God, I'm coming to your word. I'm trusting in your good news through Jesus Christ that I can have new life. And let me just picture what that looks like for you because if you've never done it, this is so important for you to get. There's the eternal timeline right there. And each one of us is physically born and we will physically die. And that's an important thing for us to get. There's a physical birth and a physical death. But if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when it talks in the Bible about a new birth or being born again, this is important for us to get, that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be born again, born above, have experienced spiritual rebirth, and through that, have a spiritual life that now takes you to eternity. The timeline doesn't stop there. Now you have the hope of eternity that, you, that you, is promised through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But not only do we have the promise of eternal life we also, and the power of that, but we also have the promise of God's presence in our personal life now. It's not just eternal life, it's God's power at work in us now. So it's stepping into God's power at work in us. And again, it comes back to the same decision you make the very first time. Saying, God, I can't. You can. Please help. I need to trust in you. And when I've been spiritually born... I don't want to go back to the old mechanisms, the old methods, but now I experience your spirit at work in my life, your power to transform me. And as I lean into your word for guidance and I trust you for your wisdom and I rely on your empowerment of the Holy Spirit, things can be different. You can be changed. You can address the temptation in your life by stopping the lies, setting your confidence 
in God's goodness, trusting in him, and then stepping forward in the new life that he offers you through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that's available to each and every one of us by faith. Let's take a moment and let's thank God for that. God, as we come before you in prayer, we recognize, each and every one of us, that we um, have trials in our life, difficulties for sure, and you call us to persevere. But there are moments, God, when we, we fail to trust in you, to seek you and your wisdom, and it can turn into a great temptation to us. And we can find ourselves struggling, going down that downward spiral, feeling empty and alone. And so, God, we thank you for your word, for the truth, the guidance that you offer to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us today, each and every one of us, to stop the lies, to stop fooling ourselves and thinking there's not that much at stake, but to have a real honest assessment of the challenges, the struggles, the decisions we're making. But, Lord, help us today as well to set our hope in you, your goodness, to trust you, and to lean into your power to live differently. Relying on our own strength doesn't work. So, God, we want to trust and rely on you. And for those of here, God, who have yet to place their faith in you, I pray that they would hear the invitation from you to come, to trust you, to experience new life, new birth, and a new future because of all that you provide. God, I pray this in your name. Amen.